We come to the time of the year they call the season of Lent. And in some places, uh, they say they're not going to eat whatever, candy or whatever, uh, until Lent is over. That's really not what it's for. Well, the purpose of the season of Lent that we prepare our hearts for what's coming. And what's coming is uh, the thoughts of the death of Christ and the resurrection. And so for the next few weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we'll be turning our hearts and our thoughts towards those things uh, about the death of Christ and the events that led up to his death and, of course, his resurrection. And that, my friends, is everything that matters. It was the central event in history when Christ died on the cross and rose again. Everything before it pointed to it. Everything after it points back. And uh, it is the beating heart of what we believe. It is who we are. And so it's a very important time as we think about what happened to Jesus. And we'll be going through those events leading up to our Good Friday service. We're in John chapter 11, continuing where we left off last week, John chapter 11, and we'll be getting into chapter 12 to today of the Gospel of John. First time I ever went to a funeral home to pay my respects, I was 19 years old. An old farmer friend of mine had died. I remember going into that place to pay my respects, and I only had one thought, get me out of here. I don't want to be here, and I couldn't stand to be around death especially somebody that I knew and loved. But when I got to be here at East Shelby, I knew I was going to have to change. I didn't want to preside over a room of sad people just so I could make them more miserable. And so I decided to try to tell the life stories of people who died and when they were Christians, especially to end uh, uh, the service on a high note. They've gone on to heaven. They've gone on to Jesus. They've gone on to family reunions. They've gone on to perfect health. They've gone on to endless happiness. So why be sad? They have considerably improved their situation. I knew my talking had to reflect that. I remember doing a service in the funeral home quite a few years ago. And after the service, I rode to the cemetery with the funeral director. And when we got in the car, he said to me, where did you learn how to do that? I said, do what? And he said, to lift people's spirits and make them happy. He said, most pastors don't even mention the name of the person who died. He said, so where did you learn how to do that? I guess I didn't learn it from anyone. I just knew that the right words would lift the burden. And wherever Jesus is involved in a person's life, he's always taking good care of people, especially when they pass over. And so if I had an example on how to do 
a funeral, it was Jesus. After all, wow, when Jesus went to funerals, he turned them upside down. Last week we looked at the funeral of Lazarus. When we got there, everybody was depressed and sad and crying. Then Jesus came. Boy, did he change the mood, didn't he? <laughs> Three words. Lazarus come forth, turned it into the happiest funeral of all time. So we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus as recorded by John in his gospel. He handpicked certain miracles because of what happened after the miracles. That's really why he chose them. In Jerusalem, Jesus did three miracles. First, he healed a man by the pool who was paralyzed for 38 years, unable to walk. And Jesus told him, take up your bed and walk. And without physical therapy, <laughs> imagine that, he got up and carried his bed and walked. That day... The scribes and Pharisees accused Jesus of being Sabbath breaker. A little later, Jesus healed the eyes of a man born blind. And the Pharisees grilled a man with questions, doubting his story. That day, the scribes and Pharisees proclaimed, This Jesus is a sinner. Now, Two miles from Jerusalem, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after four days in the grave. A stunning miracle, showing great power. So what now? What will they say now? What do people think about Jesus now? Well, there's certain things about the raising of Lazarus that really sent a message about Jesus. First of all, the Jews believed, we don't believe this, but the Jews believed that when a person died, the person's spirit lingered over their body for three days. Uh, which is part of the reason that the funerals lasted so long in that, those days. The people believed that if the person was lingering over their body, uh, they wanted to see, make sure everybody was crying and sad and wailing, and uh, they would know that they were loved. And then after three days, they believed that those people went on to paradise. But when Jesus arrived four days after Lazarus' death, of course, Lazarus, they believe, was completely gone on to paradise. So when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, had a great impact on the Jews. After all, Lazarus' three days of lingering were over. He was truly gone on that fourth day. So Jesus' miracle seemed all the more powerful to the Jews. But there's another situation that you might call even more amazing. Some of the Jews in Jerusalem were part of a group called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees believed when you were born, 
God sent life into you. But when you died, that life went back to God who gave it. And because of that, you were not alive again after you died. Your life was now absorbed back into God. Therefore, you could never be resurrected. Now, the, that's what the Hindus believe today. That's similar to Hindu thinking. And when Jesus resurrected Lazarus, I can tell you what, that sure smashed the whole theory of the Sadducees. There he is, standing there alive. His life was not absorbed into God. He was resurrected. So Lazarus was living proof that the Sadducees were wrong. So the raising of Lazarus really caused a stir. Now the immediate effect was felt and if I could have been there to see that, boy, I'd have loved to. Huh? If I could have been there to see that, uh, I would have felt this very same way. So let's see what the people think. John 11, and verse number 43. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Look, when Lazarus came walking out of that tomb, I certainly would have been convinced. I've seen doctors fail. I've seen medication have no effect. I've seen treatments be useless. I've seen death come and claim its victim no matter what. To see Jesus reverse that, that's all the evidence that I would ever need. And the people who saw what happened said the same thing. That's enough for me. Jesus is God and I believe it. I believe it when I saw that man came out of that tomb. But there were people who have tendencies. Uh, they just can't wait to be the first ones to tell what happened. Nowadays, people like that have a cell phone in their hand. They take a picture and they type a text and they push a button that says send to all and they beat everybody to the punch. They get to be the first ones to tell the world everybody's businesses. Back then, with no cell phone, here's what it was. Run, run, run as fast as you can. Run back to Jerusalem. We got the news first. Verse 46. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Back in Jerusalem, at the temple, are the quote, spiritual leaders, the Pharisees. And these people believed, the Pharisees, that the Messiah would come. And the Messiah, when he came, would attend their schools. And he would be educated by their rabbis. And he would come from among their own ranks. And he would take over and lead as a Jewish king and overthrow the Romans. 
That's what they thought. But who's this Jesus from Galilee? He's not one of us. He's uneducated. He's a country bumpkin. And we've already decided he's a Sabbath breaker and a sinner. This outsider is certainly not the Messiah. He's a troublemaker. That was the Pharisees' position. But there's another opinion comes from another group. John chapter 12, over in verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Some of the rulers, that is members of the Sanhedrin, actually believed in Jesus. If this Jesus can raise the dead, after all, he must be Messiah. But the Pharisees were so powerful that these rulers feared to oppose them. They could make real trouble for you at the temple if you stood up for Jesus. These were men like Nicodemus. And Joseph of Arimathea, who we will hear about later. But now, what about these Pharisees? How do they respond to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? Back to chapter 11. We read at verse number 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we do? For this man doeth many miracles, and if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. They do not deny the miracle. They tried that with a man born blind, failed miserably. So what can we do? Here's their issue. If Jesus gathers a crowd of followers and marches on Jerusalem. We are in real trouble. Now why? The Romans let the Pharisees be in control at the temple. The Romans appointed the high priests and the leaders gave their approval about who would be in charge, as long as they guaranteed back two things. Number one thing that the Romans wanted, peace. No trouble. No uprising. You can worship at your silly temple as long as there's no trouble. Caesar doesn't like trouble. That's the first thing. So that's what they were going to try to do. And you can be, too, the second reason, in charge, as long as you keep paying bribes. The marketplace in the temple that Jesus cleared out twice, uh, where they sold sheep and dove and exchanged money, was very profitable. And it made the high priest and his family the wealthiest people in Jerusalem. So the Romans let the leaders stay in power as long as the money's good. (laughs) Sounds familiar in today's world, doesn't it? 
But now it's almost Passover. What if Jesus comes into Jerusalem and there's a wave of public support for him? What will the Romans say? Now listen to their solution. Verse number 49. One of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest the same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. This he spake not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation, not for the nation only, but also that he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. There's an answer that ought to make your blood run cold. Caiaphas is a high priest. It's his job to sacrifice for the sins of the entire nation of Israel on the Day of Atonement. He's supposed to be the spiritual leader of Israel. He alone and no other person can enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple. And he should be the first one of all who'd be searching for Messiah. So Caiaphas, what about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? Is he Messiah? What about that man born blind who can now see? Could that be the work of Messiah, Caiaphas? And what does Jesus claim to be? Jesus said to the Pharisees in the temple before Abraham was, I am. What do you think about that, Caiaphas? And Caiaphas, by the way, You are a Sadducee. What does the resurrection of Lazarus do for your belief that no one can ever be resurrected? So what about it, Caiaphas? What do you say? He says five words. It is expedient for us. What does expedient mean? Well, the dictionary defines it based on self-interest. We choose this course of action. Caiaphas says to the other there, don't you know anything? Don't you know anything, he says. We will do what is best for us. The choice will be based on what I feel is best for me. And so if Jesus dies, it'll take away his popularity and we will still be in control. And that's what's best for me. One man will die and in so dying and getting rid of him will save the whole nation. And we will remain in control. That's 
expedient. It's what's best for me. There it is, my friends, the most dangerous man with his motives revealed. I don't care what the truth is. I don't care what Jesus has done. I don't care if it changes my whole belief system. And I don't care what other people think. My decisions are based on one thing. What is best for me? And there is a poison, my friends, that will kill the Son of God. If I think it's what's best for me. Caiaphas is supposed to be the spiritual leader of Israel. He's the high priest. One of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not kill. Will you break that commandment, Caiaphas, and commit murder? After all, you do accuse Jesus of breaking Sabbath law when he healed a paralyzed man. My friends, be careful that selfishness doesn't overrule your beliefs. The first thing you got to choose is what is true. I want to know what the truth is. What will I believe? And if Jesus is God in the flesh, walking around here doing what nobody else can do, I must deal with that. But selfishness will overrule the truth if you let it. Caiaphas' motives were entirely selfish. I will do what is expedient for me. No arguments. No other considerations. Make plans. We need to kill Jesus of Nazareth. But before they can form a plan... Something happens. Chapter 12 and verse number 12. On the next day, much people were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. Cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of thine, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not the disciples at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for they heard that he had done this miracle. And the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive you how you prevail nothing. Behold, the world has gone after him. Come to find out the people who saw 
Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, organized a reception for Jesus. We call it the triumphal entry into Jesus when he rode into town on a donkey amidst those cheering crowds. The Pharisees say, the whole world has gone after him. Caiaphas is right. We better do something. Now you want to see some twisted thinking. John chapter 12, verse number 10. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Wow. Here's how absurd it became. I guess we'll have to kill Lazarus too. After all, as long as he's alive, he's living proof of Jesus' power. <laughs> he boy, well, has some strange thoughts going on. So what does Jesus do? Chapter 12, verse 36. He's got the wrong one. But anyway, he goes out of sight. He disappears. You can't find him. Now, the real question I have is this. With all these choices, common people choose to believe. Pharisees choose to oppose. Rulers choose to believe in secret. Caiaphas chooses murder. Common people publicly support Jesus. With all this confusion, what does Jesus think? What does Jesus think? John chapter 12. I begin reading what he said right at the end, verse 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. He that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me receiveth not my words, hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken the same day shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken, listen, I have not spoken of myself. But the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Wow. Jesus said, before I left heaven to come to earth, when my body was being prepared, and before I entered into Mary's womb, God the Father told me these Parting words. 
Remember, my beloved son, always remember these two words, life everlasting. Amid the conflict that you'll be in, amidst the hatred, amidst the plans to murder, what is Jesus thinking? Life everlasting. God's word to me, life, he said. Go give them life and make it everlasting life. Reverse the curse on the world. Reverse the sentence of death. Reverse the punishment. Reverse the judgment. The gift is life everlasting. And Jesus said, that's why God sent me here. I come to offer it to common people. I come to offer it to uh, rulers of the people. I come to offer it to Pharisees. And I come to offer it to Caiaphas. All the while, Jesus is being ridiculed and accused and threatened and plotted against. In his mind, what's he thinking? I'm here to give life eternal. I'm here to save, to rescue, not to judge. As Caiaphas thinks, let's kill this Jesus. Jesus thinks that echoing in his mind is the command from his father. First and foremost, life everlasting. All I can say is streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for song the loudest praise. In his mind are these noble thoughts, the merciful plans, the glorious intentions that will rescue the human race from its own folly. He will sacrifice himself for others. And the raising of Lazarus is a precursor to his own resurrection. And from it he echoes what he said to Martha at the tomb. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. For whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So Jesus offers life. Caiaphas passes a death sentence on Jesus. The stage is set. All that's needed is the right opportunity. Jesus will be arrested. They've set that in motion. But they must exercise caution. It is Passover season in Jerusalem. Huge crowds will throng the streets and the temple. And the only building higher in Jerusalem... The only building higher in Jerusalem than the temple is the building just behind it where the Roman soldiers are stationed. They can see everything. So out of those followers and friends of Jesus that come from Galilee, they all seem to love this Jesus. We don't want any trouble with the Romans watching So how will they trap Jesus of Nazareth next week? Help from an unexpected source. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your heart was tied up your mission, life eternal, whispered in your ear by the Father, ringing in your mind through all these things. And as the stage is set, We see that it's still in your heart. You speak it out to those people gathered there. He sent me not to judge, 
but to make life. We thank you for that, that we have been partakers of that, that we have privileged status, and we can live forever because we believe in you and trust in you with all our hearts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we cannot say it enough. Thank you, Jesus. Bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Closing like you turn your hymn books, if you will. 332. Standing as we sing, hymn number 332. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Page 332. today we ask for truth to be in our lives in our hearts we pray that we would seek you 
We pray that we would see what is real and have real beliefs to know that you are in charge. You are in control in all situations. You have the power to do all things and you have come to give us life everlasting. Lord, we see the hatred that pushes against that. We see the hatred that covers up the truth. We know it and we feel it. And we pray that we would not give into those things, but look into the face of Christ. Seek after what is true and real in our hearts. And find that there are real spiritual beliefs that we have to have as the core of who we are. May we live our lives that way. May you fill us with truth. May we look for that life everlasting from you. You as the source of that. May we not turn our hearts to what is false and what is unreal. The things that Satan has called for, selfish things from the beginning of the world. May our hearts not be bound by those things, but be bound by the love of Jesus Christ. Help us. Bring us back to this place, we pray. Protect us and be with us in our country, all our lands. Lord, watch over all of us. Heal us. Turn us back, we pray. <coughs> we thank you for all the things you've done for us. In your name, amen. amen. amen.